to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. Hello everyone, this is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist, with another episode of the Candida Chronicles. This is our, I believe, 42nd podcast since we began podcasting late last year. And you will notice if you go to our website that we now have uh, the first 40 there for you to listen to at any time. And check periodically as they will be updated and each new podcast should be added within uh, let's say a week or so of its initial airing. So today we're going to discuss how does one know that they have candida? This may seem a bit esoteric at first uh, but I offer you to consider how many people there are out there on various Candida blog sites, on Facebook and different blog blog things in general, who talk about having Candida and suspect they do, but actually have no concrete scientific proof that they do. And this is what leads us to the question of how do you know you have candida? So we're going to look at it from a few different angles today. And you could say that this podcast today is dedicated uh, to the bloggers and to the people out there who are using their good judgment and their ability to research in order to conclude that candidiasis may be their issue. And for those people, we want to supply them with some additional tools to help them have uh, good judgment. Now, on one behalf, and this is the on behalf of scientific testing, and let's say uh, hypothetically at my Biamonte Center for Clinical Nutrition, when we ask the question, how do we know we have candida, the answer is very simple because we test you. And we know we've been using this test for 20 years, so we know that this test is reliable and works. How do we know that? Well, we know what the test looks like at the beginning of someone's candida treatment, where it has all the indicators and markers of what we believe is a positive case for candida, And then we also know what the test looks like when the person has gone through the different phases of our candida treatment. 
So we can conclude at the end of the candida treatment, since the test looks different, let's say, for lack of an argument, let's just say it looks different and it, it's, it's conforming to what our hypothesis is that it should look like when the candida is gone. And since we have literally thousands of cases that we can track that all qualify in this manner, we can say we can conclude rather easily by testing whether or not someone has candida and when it's gone. So it's very easy from that viewpoint. Generally speaking, when you're using the Biamonte uh, home urine test, which measures candida waste products, we know the person has candida when on the tests we refer to as the dysbiosis marker, the curdling level is very high. The person will have floating to heavy curdled reaction in the test tube when they apply the reagent to their urine in the test tube. We know that on the oxidative test, the one that measures the aldehydes in the urine, I should say more specifically free radicals, which are uh, formed from aldehydes, we know when this test is generally above a two that the person has a candida problem. We know that the higher that test goes, as it approaches four and five, it's more likely that they have systemic candida. This is candida also growing outside the intestinal tract. And on the indican test in the kit, though indican is not a marker for candida, indican is a marker for bad flora or dirty flora. It, it more exactly reports the presence of harmful bacteria and parasites. But uh, this aside, because it's reporting bad or dirty flora, we know that's an environment that candida would like to live in. So from that test, we could assume there's candida activity. How we know the candida is eliminated is when the curdling test no longer curdles and it has more of a cloudy white or milky reaction, perhaps a bit wispy and a little grainy in there too. That's a possibility. We know that when the red test drops down to what we consider a normal level, and on the red test, we also know that if we have indications, all indications that candida is gone, yet the red test is still elevated, this could simply mean that the person has a disability in detoxifying these aldehyde-formed free radicals. And there is an uh, antioxidant program that we have for those people, which fixes that, which then brings the red test back down. This is a case where the person's body does not neutralize or detoxify the naturally occurring free radicals coming from normal amounts of aldehyde production in their intestines. Aldehydes are alcohols, which are fermented and made in your intestinal tract by either yeast or bacteria, and it certainly could be normal amounts of yeast or bacteria. It could just be the body doesn't have the ability to break those aldehydes down fast enough. And originally, when we started using that test, we believed it was because there was just so much candida or bacteria present producing aldehydes that the levels would elevate based on that, and we now know from experience that's not always true. When the indican test uh, reduces the blue score and goes back to clear, which is what it's supposed to be, then we know the person's flora is normal or healthy, 
and that also greatly lowers the chance of candida developing. So this is how we know candida is then gone and normal flora is returned. You'll also generally see a uh, improvement in pH. Typically when the person has candida and they're in the throes of the whole candidiasis, the pH will tend to be around 5 or 4.5. And as candida goes away, you start seeing the first morning pH, which is what we're talking about here, uh, come back into the 6 to 7 range. So that would be other additional evidence that candida is gone. If one is using the organics test, um, the arabinose level on the organics test is one of the primary tests which indicate yeast activity. So if you have a positive arabinose, which then later on becomes negative, this is evidence that your candida would be gone based on that test. If you're doing the GI effect stool test or any such stool test, the first evidence that candida would be gone would, of course, be that the candida is no longer registering on the stool test where it had in the past. If the candida never registered on the stool test, but yet you had an absence of healthy flora, an indication that the candida would be gone would be the return of the healthy flora and the elimination of any pathogenic bacteria. If one had parasites showing on the stool test, the elimination of the parasites and the return of healthy flora, the elimination of any bacterial pathogens would all be evidence that your candida is gone. The stool test is probably the one that's most confusing as far as interpretation because things don't always show up and you can get false negatives even though those things are there. In live blood cell analysis, which is pretty easy to interpret, you simply no longer see candida attached to any of the blood cells. When you're dealing with blood antibody tests, any sort of blood antibody test for candida, unfortunately you need to wait nine months from the point where you think your treatment is successful to then observe a change in the antibodies. This means that if your, your doctor does a blood test and your candida antibodies are high and you're then treated for it, nine months after the point that you and your doctor may assume the candida treatment was now successful and you are now candida free, it will be nine months before the antibodies drop to normal. That's an idiosyncrasy of candida blood testing. So you have to wait this nine months to conclude that yes, indeed, it is gone. That becomes your scientific proof that you were right, that nine months earlier it was eliminated. That's a tough one to deal with because of the time lag there. And the using, if one is using the saliva spit test, which has become famous on the internet, you're wasting your time because that test can react that way for many reasons other than having candida, so we don't include that in this discussion. If you're doing allergy testing, uh, particularly ALCAT testing, allergies or reactions to yeasts and funguses and molds will show negative. Now, it's also possible that the candida could be gone but yet those tests will continue to show positive only because the immune system 
itself has a memory and is holding on to this memory to protect the body in the future. So that's not always going to be accurate for you. So with that, we've run through the major testing that exists for candida. There are some other tests, like, like there are saliva antibody tests which look for candida. Uh, some other tests we will call miscellaneous. Uh, the bottom line is you know your candida is gone typically when those tests become negative. Now, if you're not using any tests, which is kind of more the emphasis of this broadcast today, you're relying on symptoms. And this is a difficult thing to do. Because you have to be very experienced with candida and very skilled in sorting symptoms out in order to be accurate in what's happening. The reason for this is there are many conditions which could mimic candida. And these conditions that mimic candida often are part of the same candida complex, meaning that they're associated to candida. With some of them, you have to be really careful and intellectualizing because some of them are so closely related to the candida complex of illnesses that you have to wonder how could you have this aspect of the condition without then having also this other aspect. An example there would be mercury toxicity. Someone who has mercury toxicity typically will have candida overgrowth because the mercury causes it. But this is assuming, it's, a, it's, it, it's assuming or it's inferring, where in engineering we would call this an inference test or inference logic, meaning that we're inferring without really knowing as a fact, but it's a, a, a good logical inference or guess. So what would be indications that your candida, first off, is present if you're not going to use testing. Well, let's, if we look at what candida does, we know candida ferments in the intestinal tract. Its primary actions are to get glucose and sugars and ferment them. And the fermentation, they're being broken down into forms that the, the fungus or yeast can more easily consume. The byproduct of fermentation is gas. So we'd have to say that a good sign of candida would be gas in response to eating carbohydrates or consuming sugars. That's the, the first one we'll put up on the board. If someone eats carbohydrates and sugars and gets gas, that is a good in indication of having candida. If the person eats a steak and has gas, that's not qualifying. So gas from carbs and sugars would be our first indicator. And that's probably one of the most reliable symptoms that you will have from having candida. If you get gas from everything you eat, if you get gas from broccoli and cabbage and cauliflower, um, if you get gas after eating a steak, these do not qualify. It's specifically gas from carbs or sugars. Now, as we go through the life cycle of candida, we know that aside from fermenting and causing gas, 
Candida also releases the aldehydes, which have a, an effect on you. The aldehyde poisoning, if we want to call it that, can occur only from drinking an excessive amount of alcohol or by having candida producing an excessive amount of alcohol. And in this situation, the person is very intolerant to alcohol. Um, so this, this section will have a few indications. The first one, the most reliable one, is that the person is tired and we'll say disoriented. Being tired and disoriented is definitely a stable symptom of candida because of the alcohol and aldehyde production that occurs with candida. This symptom can also occur from other conditions, of course. Um, you can easily become tired and disoriented from having low blood sugar. Uh, we could also throw headaches in on this one too, that we could add that because headaches or a hungover feeling, let's say, often occur from those aldehydes. So if someone has a combination of being tired, disoriented, headaches, and they get gas from eating carbohydrates and sugars, this could serve as possible symptoms of having candida. If a person gets gas from everything, and it's not limited to carbs and sugars, I would disqualify them on that first point because we don't know specifically that carbohydrates and sugars are being produced by yeasts at that point. At that point, there could be bacteria, and it's just not exclusive enough to meet our criteria because they're having gas even if they eat meat. So that could be more of a dysbiosis of bacteria. So we have so far gas from carbs and sugars, tired, disoriented, or headaches, just generally speaking. And the next one that stems from this one would be alcohol intolerance. It's a pretty good bet that people who cannot tolerate a drink of alcohol are patients riddled with candidiasis. This is because their own intestinal tract has so much candida and it's continuing to produce alcohols at such a high rate that when they add external alcohols uh, in the form of um, Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, or whatever it is, Budweiser, whatever the source, the alcohol level rises and it's intolerant and the body cannot detoxify it fast enough. So you get the cheap date syndrome where the person can only really have one or two drinks and then they're done for. This is definitely a sign of having candidiasis. Now, candida is also a very alkaline-oriented organism, and candida is known to cause the intestinal tract to become overly alkaline. Therefore, in the back to the digestive category, digestive sluggishness, which I will qualify in more detail, it would be another sign of having candida. Uh, feeling like you cannot digest anything, eating, eating a meal and then feeling like you have to lie down or fall asleep, particularly having a lot of burping after you eat, which would be a sign of low stomach acid and candida. 
and becoming constipated, chronic constipation, is another indication of having candida. Because the candida pulls the pH of the intestinal tract so alkaline, it easily causes constipation. So we have gas from carbohydrates and sugars, tired, disoriented headaches, alcohol intolerance, and digestive sluggishness and chronic constipation. This is almost working out like the 12 days of Christmas here. Uh, but nonetheless, if you have all of these symptoms together, which would be logical, then this would point to having candida. So if we look a little down, now keep in mind, the further we go on with this, uh, a, bit, a bit more sketchy this becomes, because the, as you digress here, some of the symptoms can be caused by multiple factors. We want to try to keep to the symptoms which are mostly caused by candida. Now, the next area that we'll look at would be reactions to foods. And this will be very similar to our first set. So we would say that, but this is more general. So we're going to say that, generally speaking, a person who has bad reaction to any carbs or sugars may have candida. So what would a bad reaction be? Well, they eat some kind of carb, they get a headache. Uh, they eat some kind of carb, they get itchy, a rash. They eat sugar, they become very disoriented and have to fall asleep or feel very toxic. They eat carbs or sugars and get genital rashes, man or woman. They eat carbs or sugars and have rectal itching. They get bloated. They have a bad reaction to carbs or sugars. This would be another possible indication of candida. So now we have gas from carbs and sugars, tired, disoriented headaches or alcohol intolerance. We have digestive sluggishness, chronic constipation, and we have, generally speaking, bad reaction to carbs and sugars. Now, the next and maybe the last indication that we'll put up on the board would be allergic reactions to molds, yeasts, and different fungi. The person will have allergic reactions to this because the body's already dealing with its own immune problems from the internal candida, which it has. So if they're exposed to a moldy environment, if they're exposed to, um, let's say, a food which might have gone moldy, Bad reactions are likely to occur, and what the reaction would be is anyone's guess. It could be anything. The idea and the fact of the matter is that the person is intolerant to these things. This is a person that could have the overgrowth. Now, naturally, in dealing with these conditions, as you're treating the candida... Assuming you're treating it, hopefully you're treating it correctly, 
any of these symptoms can worsen while being treated. And this is a big problem. A lot of people don't understand this, and it leads them down the wrong, the wrong road. Any of these symptoms possibly could get worse as you're treating the condition. Because when you destroy candida, candida releases more of its own internal proteins and allergens, which can heighten these symptoms temporarily. When candida dies, it switches from the fungal form off into a yeast form. This is a, an explanation as to why women who go on a candida program will suddenly perhaps break out with violent yeast infections. Men will break out with violent jock itch. Either can have thrush and different types of canker sores or sores in the mouth or pain in the mouth. It's because when the fungal form of candida is being threatened, it transforms itself to the yeast form. This is actually how you know your treatment's being successful. If you start having yeast breakouts during your treatment, you know you're, you're successfully killing the fungal form of the candida, which is chasing it to transform itself into the yeast form before it's finally killed by your medication or treatment. So we generally will get a worsening of symptoms when the treatment is working correctly, but this doesn't last forever. This lasts for a, uh, a week or two, depending on the person's ability to detoxify, depending on how much candida they have, and then these symptoms start to decrease. And then the person feels better. Their head clears up, the fog and whatnot. All the gas starts to go away, the bloating starts to go away, etc. What prevents this from working is if the person is grossly constipated during the treatment. Aside from the obvious of the person not sticking to the diet or not taking the medicines regularly, constipation is the biggest enemy to a candida treatment. And the reasons for this are many. Constipation keeps the intestinal tract and the colon far too alkaline. Constipation uh, causes toxicity in the colon, which is what the candida likes. Constipation prevents friendly bacteria from being able to regrow in the intestinal tract. So regardless of how much you spend on expensive probiotics, as long as you're taking them and you're constipated, you might as well just take them and throw them directly into the toilet and just bypass the step of swallowing them. Because that's about the, the good that you're getting from taking these substances. Now, this all can be avoided, all the confusion that's related to this can be avoided by simply doing some tests. And in particular, I will again mention it's the the test that the Viamonte Center uses that is of my own, uh, my own creation is the only candida test that exists which also measures die-off of candida. So when you're using the Viamonte method test, you will get die-off. You'll get die-off if you're doing the test and if your treatment is correct. And this is a very important point. Because when people are self-treating, 
they don't really know the difference between die-off or getting worse. Something that very often scares the person off the treatment is the fact they're having die-off. The person's first impulse when they have die-off is to stop the treatment. And that's exactly the, the wrong thing to do because the die-off is the evidence the treatment's working. So to stop it then is ridiculous. But people get scared because they don't know. They lack certainty. And they lack certainty because they don't have testing. If you have a test which tells you with certainty you're having die-off and that's why you feel worse, you're going to be a lot more committed to the process and you can then lower your dose until the die-off calms down and then raise it again and have, have some type of feeling that you're actually in command, you're at cause over the situation and you really know what you're doing. If you get die-off and you just stop the program, you're never going to get better because you're never going to complete it. The idea is to back off when you have die-off only to resume again when it clears. But people typically will not do this. You'll see people have die-off, they stop the program, and they're kind of sitting in the corner of the room, shaking their head, saying, what happened? And they do this for a few years until they finally get around to trying to confront killing the candida again. Well, that's certainly not going to work. The remedies to dealing with die-off are, one, always lower the dosage. Or even stop for a day or two. This way you slow down the breakdown of the, of the dead candida, which is making you sick. You increase your water dramatically to flush it out. You go for a colonic or you do enemas at home to flush out your colon, which is the site that most of these toxins are being produced. These are the things that you do that are causative and effective, which assist in the treatment and keep you on the right road or the right path. The wrong road and the wrong path is to stop the treatment. The correct path is to control the die-off so that you can deal with it and you can continue through. But again, if you don't know truly you're having die-off, for all you know, you could be having an allergy to one of the herbs you're taking. So it's essential that you have some type of test which is going to tell you that you're having die-off and tell you you're moving in the right direction. And this is the, the lucky thing for the patients at my center where they're using these tests on a regular basis so they know the difference. If you're not in that position, then you're going to have to rely on common sense. If you lower the doses of the medicines and drink a lot of water, and the die-off symptoms get better, then obviously it was die-off. If you stop the program altogether, the die-off will eventually stop, but then you're not moving forward anymore. So as I repeatedly said, that's not the correct way to do things. Parsley water is another item which you can take, which helps die-off because it helps you urinate. Basically, anything that helps you urinate or anything that helps you poop is going to help you deal with the die-off better because you're excreting the toxins. So, simply said, how one knows they have candida is either obtained by testing or it's obtained by a very careful look 
scrutinizing the symptoms we've talked about today that are probably the most associated with candida. They're simple and very associated. There are many symptoms which can be caused by candida, but also other conditions. You'll notice that the symptoms that I mentioned, and I'll review them one last time, are very specific and limited because these are the symptoms that have the best chance of coming directly from candida as opposed to other symptoms which can be from multiple reasons. So again, we have gas, specifically from carbs and sugars, tired, disoriented, or headaches, not able to tolerate alcohol, digestive sluggishness, usually ending up with constipation, bloating, gas perhaps, but mostly constipation, general bad reactions to carbs and sugars, and then allergies to molds, yeasts, and funguses. These are the symptoms that are the most objective. It would be pretty hard to argue in a case that had all of these symptoms occurring that they don't have candida. This person still needs to have testing in order to make the treatment plan accurate. But as far as evidence that they have candida and they should pursue that subject, that's uh, very clear. The last thing we'll talk about today is the medical history in terms of how do we know we have candida. Very typically, the medical history of someone with candida is found to contain multiple antibiotic treatments. A very typical people from the generation where acne was being treated with Accutane and antibiotics, these people have a very high percentage of candida. Anyone for any reason who's had multiple uh, rounds or courses of antibiotics is at high risk for having candida today. People who've had multiple surgeries are at high risk for candida, not only because of the antibiotic given them, but also just the shock of the, the body. People who have been in multiple accidents, also high risk of candida. People who've had diabetes or chronic viruses, also at high risk for candida. The diabetes, of course, would feed the naturally occurring candida. And people with viruses and other types of illnesses of the same nature develop candida due to the suppression of their own immune system from the virus. People who've had contracted parasites, whether it's bacterial parasites or protozoa, and who've had uh, a pretty rough go of it with vomiting and diarrhea uh, and in multiple instance, instances, uh, these people run a high chance of candida because of those bad organisms disturbing the flora. Anorexics or bulimics can run a high risk for candida. From the viewpoint of the anorexic, it's possible because what feeds your flora on a daily basis is the food you eat. Your flora is sort of like a set group of bacteria you have. And as you eat food every day, certain foods will feed the flora. 
anorexics or people who eat very little, someone also, let's say, hypothetically, who's gone on multiple fasts, they also can develop candida due to the lack of food to feed the friendly bacteria. Bulimics very easily develop candida because of vomiting. Vomiting is well known to disturb your intestinal flora, just like an antibiotic does. And as I said, this is a, there's a similarity here in someone who uh, harbors parasites. Parasites easily cause candida because they also disturb the intestinal flora. So you could then say when you're looking at someone's medical history that anything they've done which disturbs their intestinal flora could give rise to candida. Typically what you're going to find in looking at that will be reoccurring use of antibiotics, of uh, antacid medications, sometimes of steroids like cortisone or cortisol or prednisone, using estrogen medications also will cause candida. So those directly are the, are the drugs that typically will cause the disruption in the flora, which leads to candida. So looking at a medical history, drug intake like this is a major concern. You could almost say that there's a profile to some degree of the typical candida patient. Many of them as a child had eczema and asthma. As they've gotten older, it might've improved. They typically have the heavy course of antibiotics um, and some of these other medications. And of course, in present time as adults, they're suffering with the five groups of symptoms that we went over earlier. So there you have it, folks. Then we have, how do you know you have candida? And once again, let me say that the, the best way to know is to do some testing because you could be wrong on your assumption with these symptoms and the medical history. You don't know necessarily that's always going to be correct. The scientific way is to test and to find out. To learn more about candida testing, you're welcome to visit our website at www.health-truth.com. That's www.health-truth.com. Please feel free to go to our webpage where we have our podcasts. As I said earlier, we have over 40 podcasts published right now. And that is www.health-truth.com forward slash podcasts. Also be alert and be on the lookout for the first book of a series of five that will be coming out this summer. The book is called... Uh, the Candida Chronicles, named after the show. And this first book on Candida will cover all the basis of Candida. It's going to have a section on Candida diet and an appendix for medical doctors and chiropractors and other health professionals in order to learn more about the actual hands-on treatment of Candida the correct way as, as it's done per my method at the Biamonte Center. Look for the announcements of the book's release on our website and also Amazon.com. And please tune in again 
next Tuesday for another episode of the Candida Chronicles. This is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist, and I wish you well. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, certified clinical nutritionist. Michael holds a doctorate of nutropathy and is a New York State certified clinical nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.